It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, 12 years after the B5 premiere. The Babylon podcast was a dream given form. Its goal, to discuss Babylon 5 episodes, arcs, and implications, to interview the cast and crew about their experiences and memories. It's a home away from home for fanboys, geek girls, and lurkers. It can be a silly place, but it's our last best hope for B5 fans. This is the podcast about the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2006. The name of this show is the Babylon Podcast. Welcome to the Babylon Podcast. My name is Summer Brooks, and we are all here to bring you more information than you thought your brain could ever stand about Babylon 5, past, present, and future. Joining me are Tim Callender. Hi, Summer. This is Tim. Tim is actually the director of the show, but everybody likes my voice, so I'm talking more. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, our sage, Jeffrey Willers. Sage. Wow. Another new name I can put on my resume. There you go. That's a great one. You have a (laughs) double-sized business card now. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's, an understanding of a three-edged sword. Ah. We, We go back to the threes. See, both of you, you're you're geeking out on me. We haven't even been rolling 30 seconds on this already. (laughs) Well, we've had many years to build up our geek for Babylon 5 at this point, and I think that the uh, Babylon podcast is going to be our major outlet now. Well, that's a good thing. Happy about that. So uh, one of the first things that I think we uh, started to do with the podcast was to start to line up the guests that we were going to have uh, on board here. And it's my understanding that we did send out um, uh, invitations to uh, the great maker himself uh, to be our first guest. Have we had uh, any response yet? I have not received any response from the great maker. I am willing to try again. Hopefully wave a flag, shoot off a flare, that will get his attention. Let the geek show again. I think what we have to do is travel into Vorlon space and just hang there until all the oxygen runs out, and then maybe he'll pick us up. <laughs> okay. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a good good tactic, too. Yeah. Um, and another one, another person I've uh, tried to contact is uh, Christopher Frankie, who uh, created the amazing atmospheric music that we all know and love from the show. Uh, have not yet heard from him yet, but... I, he, I really want to get on the show because the music, the music made that show, as far as I'm concerned. The music was so different from what you usually heard in a um, space opera or a space television series. You know, it was atmospheric. It was electronic without seeming too overly techno. And you know, and there was just you know some marvelous passages in there, and that's you know amazing. You know, uh, one of the uh, elements, production elements that we go through in the process of making a show is often uh, what's called an audio spotting session. And um, when we would have these audio spotting sessions, it was after the show had been uh, rough cut together, editorially put together so that at least all the scenes were in sequence and it was roughly the time and the director had made his pass on on the the selections of uh, footage that he wanted in the show. And uh, Joe 
and uh, often uh, John Copeland, and uh, on occasion I was in this as well, we would sit down with Christopher and uh, show him the episode. And Joe would give Christopher very specific instructions about, um, you know, this is an emotional point here, hold this till that, I want more excitement in this area, build this up, take that down, you know, something a little more ethereal here and something a little, you know, upbeat here, and give him some, some notes about what Joe was hearing in his head. And Christopher was um, just so diligent. He would make little notes, and he'd go, uh-huh, 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 and leave the room when we were done with the show. And then he would, you know, sure enough, um, oh, I don't remember how long it was, you know, a few days later, weeks later, whatever it was, he, you know, all of a sudden, boop, the show would show up, and here would be this amazing music. And the show would have taken such a leap emotionally just by having the music in there. So it's a, a rare privilege that I have been able to see Battle on Five episodes without the music. And you see that they're compelling to watch at that level, but then you add the, the you know, Christopher's music to it and suddenly, you know, you would actually get goosebumps or your eyes would start welling up or, you know, you'd, be, you'd get angry at Kosh or whatever it was, you know. <laughs> the music plays a huge role. Cool. Well, I think we should really kick this show off by introducing everyone who's not familiar with all the names. I know a lot of people probably know who I am from the Myriad family of Dragon Page shows, but uh, I don't think anyone knows who Tim is, and Kosh, as always, is mysterious. So, Tim, why don't you tell us about yourself and then tell us what was it about B5 that hooked you and kept you? Okay. Well, um, I've been, of course, I was born in the 60s, so I grew up in the age of Apollo, so it was my dream to be an astronaut. And, of course, as we all know, not everybody gets to grow up to be an astronaut. Um, science fiction was a great way to um, bridge that gap, as it were. Um, so I did a lot of reading. Of course, was a Star Trek fan, and we're talking original series. Uh, I used to say I was a next-generation fan because I've started watching Star Trek when it first came around as syndication, not the first run. Of course, I can't use that moniker anymore since we've had all the myriad deep space franchises after that. <laughs> um, what what brought me to Babylon 5 is in 94, of course, you know there was rumor going around about a, a proposed new series, and myself and friends at the time were intrigued by it because the, the big selling point was that it was a five-year saga. Um, that it was going to have the beginning, middle, and end. It was going to be very much like a novel. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure that in our area they even showed the pilot. It just sort of flew under the radar. Um, and when the, the series premiere, Midnight on the Firing Line, came along, it was on our Fox affiliate. Um, and then for that first year, it got kicked around through different time slots. It was very hard to follow at that point. But I did catch that first episode, Midnight on the Firing Line. And I remember that opening scene on um, Ragash 3, and they call out jump points forming in Sector 5. And I'm thinking, hey, you know what? This is starting to call back to novels that are favorites of mine. And what really hooked me, I have to say it, Jeffrey, what really got me to stay was Kosh. Um, I'm a big fan of the Lensman series by Doc Smith. And one of the characters in there was Nadrek of Palane 7. And 
he was always in an encounter suit because he came from a frigid world and could not survive in warm oxygen atmospheres. And here was this thing, of course, at that time we didn't know what was in the suit. Here's this major character that was truly, truly alien. And at that moment I knew that this was the show that I had to keep track of no matter what. Cool. (laughs) And uh, myself, I've been a science fiction fan since, uh, I guess, reading the Pern series in high school. And then it followed naturally to television. I could not get into the original Trek series. I did try. I just wasn't there for me. Didn't feel it. Uh, I watched Next Generation because there was no other science fiction on at the time. For years, it was a vast, vast desert of science fiction. We needed a, we needed an oasis. And then all of a sudden, after lots of hits and misses with small shows that you know poked their heads up out of the sand and then withered away and died, Babylon 5 came along. And the music was different, which got my attention because I'm a huge, I, I love, love music. And then this whole thing of not hitting the reset button after the end of every episode and starting fresh in the next episode, that just got me goose pimply. Because you hear, you hear you have a story of people's lives. You just don't hit the reset button at the end of each episode and start all over again with a new trauma. <laughs> it's... Right. Everything is cumulative, and you have each ser- each episode building on each episode, and then each season building upon each season. That just, I was amazed that someone was able to pitch that all- that idea to Hollywood and succeed in getting it made, and then to have the f- just strength of will to keep it going the entire five years. That impressed me. I'm like, wow, this gives me hope for television. That hope has since been like beaten and bruised since then, <laughs> in the time since Babylon 5's gone off, but it's still there. And I want to put those pieces together to show people who hadn't watched Babylon 5, who, who only caught an episode here and there and said, I can't follow this, I'm, I'm lost, and decided not to, to watch. I want to put those pieces together for people so they can catch up. I want people to say, hey, maybe I'll go check out the DVDs. From what they're saying, maybe I'll go check it out on uh, AOL Broadband. I want people to hear why we love this show and maybe bring them back to it. I remember at the time that the show was airing, uh, I had a couple of friends who weren't watching it. They were Star Trek fans, and we got to talking, and I said, hey, have you seen the show Babylon 5? And this was... uh, I guess about the second year it started at this point. I said, no, what is this? And I said, oh, you know, here's the deal. you got a five-year story. It's got a beginning, middle, end. Things are changing. Like you said, summer, there's no um, reset button. And sure enough, two weeks later, they came back and were absolutely amazed at what they had seen. And they were hooked as well. You know, it's funny, though. There was uh, a contingent of Star Trek fan who, who wouldn't even give Babylon the time of day. You know, wouldn't even give it a shot, wouldn't even watch an episode or, or saw one and immediately, you know, drew to conclusions that it was never worth watching another one. Because I, I remember the, uh, well, maybe animosity isn't the right word, but certainly a number of fans who were, uh, you know, just quick to poo-poo Babylon 5 and not give it a shot. That's unfortunate. I wonder how, what the percentages of those who felt that way originally have, you know, in time came around and realized uh, there was actually some really, really good story going on there. 
one of the things that I I remember um, when I was watching the first year um, that intrigued me in terms of similarity with the original Trek. Like I said, that's what I grew up on. And you look at the old show, and even then, um, it, it was more about the story than the special effects. Um, and that was the thing that I noticed, especially in the first year of Babylon 5, was that it, there was a lower budget look to it. But all the things that were intriguing were the characters and the stories and how things were evolving. And so, you know, it was easier to overlook um, some of the cheesier production aspects. I remember especially um, Londo carrying a bouquet of flowers for Adira, and it was basically, looked like twigs with Christmas lights wrapped in it. Um, <laughs> but but that was irrelevant because the whole story was, you know, here's this man who's, you know, basically treated as a joke, and he finds the love of his life only to, to lose her eventually. And that was that was what was more propulsive. And, of course, as the show evolved, you know, the production rose to the challenge. But um, I, I, I wonder if that's what happened with some of the Trek fans. They looked at it, and they looked at the, the, the movie-level uh, visuals that the Trek franchise had at that time and just said, well, you know, this looks like a cheesy, cheap thing, and I'm not going to waste my time. You're probably going to get a lot of email on that one. <laughs> Bring it on. I'm I'm here to start the war all over again. <laughs> well, for me, it's always been about story. I'm uh, a huge... I, I love a good story. Something that I can read or watch and lose myself in knowing that I'm experiencing this story as if it's really happening. I want to feel, I don't want to feel like I'm just watching three things happen and then because it's a part of a formula and then ending. I want stuff to happen that seems plausible. The fact that uh, the military people, they, they are military, but they're not perfect. They all have flaws their flaws affect their judgment personally and professionally. Uh, we didn't see that a whole lot from the track that I remember. You had someone would make a mistake, but then, you know, three episodes later, it what they were no consequences from their mistake. Not really. Or, or they would have um, they'd make the mistake, but within the same episode, have the opportunity to redeem themselves. Right. It everything happened in that one hour. You know, it's not like they made one mistake and then three years later, an entire planet's destroyed because of that choice. Right. Well, I also, um, even over the course of the entire show, I have been rewatching B5, obviously, the episode where in the first year, um, Parliament of Dreams, where Shakar is captured by the assassin and he's being tortured by the neck torture device and the assassin tells him you know if you scream i'll let you go and of course he doesn't and that's echoed again when cartesia has him right. centauri prime and telling him you know all i want is a scream and at that point you know londo's told him you know you have to stay alive and jakar has to swallow his pride now it's a powerful moment at that point in time in that episode but when you reflect back at even the earliest moments of the show itself, it just takes on such a resonance. And that, I think, is what's so very rare in a television show. And especially, you know, let's face it, it's, it's science fiction. That Science fiction shows generally, and I'm speaking broadly now, um, 
tend to favor action and adventure over character and drama. And Babylon 5 delivered both in just a most amazing fashion. You go, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for someone else to chime in, but okay. (laughs) Mike, you can edit that. Uh, That's at 1613. (laughs) So um, what do we have lined up for future guests? Uh, I understand we could be getting Wayne Alexander and Robin Atkin Downs on the show. Is that correct, Jeff? That's uh, true so far, Summer. I've talked with uh, both of them today. Um, Scheduling wouldn't allow them uh, to be with us this afternoon, but uh, they both are uh, interested and excited to be a part of this. Uh, Robin has a a very busy schedule that I'm sure he'll uh, fill us in on. Um, So it'll be uh, a few more, uh, I think a couple more weeks till we get uh, Robin to join us, but uh, he's very much into it and and went to the website right away and uh, saw what we were doing and listened to our uh, what do we call that? Episode negative two? <laughs> show, show zero. Show, show zero. zero. Okay. Um, so I know he listened to that. Uh, and then, yeah, I had a great long conversation. You know, one of the beauties of, of my job here on the podcast is, is to get in touch with uh, friends and family that, you know, came from Babylon 5, and so many of us haven't been in touch in a long time, so I'm, this is turning out to be a wonderful opportunity for me just to get back in touch with people, and, and uh, so I had a great talk today with uh, Wayne. Wayne and I see each other fairly often, but, um, you know, just to catch up, we hadn't really through the holidays and all, and he's doing um, uh, rather well and brought up a really interesting aspect. He, he did not know about the uh, broadband broadcasts. Uh, that are pending with uh, Babylon 5. And uh, one of the first things he asked about, you know, I think half-jokingly, but more seriously than anything, was, hey, well, does that mean we get more residuals? (laughs) And uh, it's actually uh, an ongoing concern. It's it's been an ongoing debate that has uh, been bounced around in the um, uh, contract laws uh, are in the contracts that have been set forth by um, the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild, all of these um, uh, organizations that help protect artisans, you know, with their work. Um, For a long time, you know, the Internet has sort of been named in, in their contracts, but no specific programs relative to who owns what and and what your rights are and how much you should be compensated, if at all, has ever really been finalized. It's actually been um, shelved more times than it's actually been uh, aggressively and appropriately discussed. So um, I think that is about to change because television programming is a, is coming to the Internet in, in mass very quickly. I mean, uh, it's it's... All the networks are going to be all about new ways of distributing their content, whether it's broadband or it's on your telephone or it's uh, you know your cell phone or um, or uh, downloads for your iPod or, or whatever other new technologies are right around the corner here for us. And so now that the demand is actually going to happen, I think you're going to see all the unions quickly scurry and go, okay, okay, we've been jerking around talking about this for a long time, but we never really addressed it and haven't come up with any answers. And now I got, I have my members of my guild calling me going, hey, what am I getting for it? So um, Wayne agreed that he would uh, call up SAG 
and um, and address this issue with them. And hopefully, when we get him uh, on with us, I hope next week, um, he's going to tell us what he found and what he learned. And I think it'll be fascinating. Jeffrey, do you think that this is as much uh, this AOL um, in-demand TV? Um, do you think this is as much a way of trying to force the issue on somebody's part, saying we know it's coming, it hasn't been resolved, this is going to be the catalyst to do it, or do you think that they're just you know, putting it out there because they feel it's time to get that content and they can make some money off of it? Oh, I think it's the golden rule, Tim. I mean, it's follow the gold, you know, he with the gold rules, and so um, it's absolutely, I think, you know, it's just an opportunity. They're, they're, all these studios are sitting on large inventory of uh, content and looking for ways to make an extra dime off of it. And if somebody says, hey, we can put it on the Internet, and they say, well, great, let's do that. And, and it uh, absolutely is just money generated as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Always is. Always is. I would like to find out if this would just just by having it talked about more by being having the broadband episodes having maybe you know more maybe even I well if if it's on AOL it probably wouldn't show up on iTunes but I know a lot of series have been talked about showing up on iTunes I want to know is this going to make make it easier for the actors the stars that we loved to get back out to cons again because I noticed the the B five cast appearances started dwindling away about six years ago. I haven't seen anybody on any con schedule in a while. And that's impacting my ability to get certain items signed. <laughs> like Jeffrey said, it's all about the gold. I just want to have my goodies yeah, signed. You know? sadly, sadly true. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of changes, and I really do think we're going to see them all this year. 2006 is going to be the start of a whole new thing. You know, a lot of people will kind of jump back and say, "Oh, well, you know, 93, 94—that was really the—that was the boom of the internet." And um, I think 10 years from now, we'll look back and go, "You know, 2006 was really the boom of the whatever we wind up calling this new digital distribution opportunity that's ahead of us." As as far as B5 fans go. We've got the DVDs out, and we've got DVDs for Crusade. What advantage is there? And then generally, you look at the show lineup that's on AOL. A lot of that, I think, is already available on DVD. What is to be gained by putting these old shows available on broadband uh, when they're already available through another venue? Well, you know, that's the... That's uh, probably the $64,000 question, Tim. That's the real gamble that, that uh, has been debated for quite some time. I mean, technology has been there. I think it's, it's finally happening now because more, a majority, not a majority, that's not a fair statement, but a much larger share of the market has broadband, and so now it's more economically feasible for, for um, these content owners to do it. Um, Let's look back in history a little bit, though. It, you know, if if there was content that was available on films and then it got transferred to video, well, wow! If you had the film, because when you, Tim, you remember when we were kids, everybody had you know you shot your eight millimeter, your sixteens or whatever, and everybody had a film projector in their house, and that's how you kind right. of did the family movie thing. And 
there were some attempts to make some commercial content available through film, but then video happened and all of a sudden that was a new opportunity. And then, you know, it was Betamax, but then it went to VHS and wow, who, if I already have it on Betamax, why would I want it on VHS? Well, then VHS has gone the, you know, to the wayside and now I've got it on DV, DVD. So why would I want to ever have a, v well, now it'll, you know, that pro progression will continue. You know, I think more at the heart of what's, um, what concerns me, or, or or the question for me, is not so much the technology issues uh, and the marketing opportunities. Uh, I'm still having a problem getting my head wrapped around the idea that uh, society as a whole will use computers for entertainment purposes for the immediate future. I think in time, as society changes and the generation of um, people who have, you know, my, I mean, my kid's 11 years old and his computer usage is all about entertainment. It's all about game. He is not in the situation where he uses his computer as a work tool. Uh, a television is entertainment, a computer is tool, and I believe that that's true for the majority of the breathing society. Um, well, it might be true for a particular generation, shall we say. For several generations, except for these younger ones now. I think once the younger audience grows up, and they, they will be more hip to um, uh, using their computer for entertainment purposes. But right now, I'm hard-pressed to think that I'm going to sit down at my computer, which sadly I have to do all day anyway as part of my job, that... Um, I'm going to start watching television programs on my computer when I have a perfectly good television and multiples in every room and all that sort of stuff. So I'm just not sure that we're ready to give up our our practices in how we utilize the technologies that are available to us yet in a mass way. I think we're going to have to let a couple generations die off before this becomes huge. I'm I'm going to have to disagree. <laughs> uh, I have seen the PSP. I want one. Watching movies on that is not a painful idea. I don't know how many people would want to watch a movie or a TV show on their video phone, on their cell phone, but the Trio is actually a nice size screen that I could watch. You know, I could catch up on an episode of something that I missed earlier in the week by downloading on the Internet. Uh, I've seen, I have seen and bowed down before the new Apple cinema display monitors. Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh my, I could easily see somebody having that instead of a television. You know, they put that in the living room. They can, you know, fire up something, you know, throw the DVD in the computer, watch it on TV, download something on demand to their computer and, and watch it. I can, I can see that, you know, especially if somebody's on a budget, it's like, okay, I need a computer and a TV set. I can't get both. I'm going with the computer and a really good monitor because that'll last me three years, and then I can get a TV set, you know, something plasma screen later. Um, from what I understand with the AOL broadband thing, that was supposed to be able to be able to be downloaded to be viewed on the television set. I don't know how they were going to do that, but their plan was you'd you'd click some sort of combination of numbers and buttons like you'd order pay per view, and you'd see it on 
your screen. I'm guessing Time, Time Warner does have a cable system of their own. Mm-hmm. So I would guess they'd be able to order that through their cable box if they had Time Warner cable. You know, everybody else who has, you know, Comcast or Cox or whatever, you know, Bell South or whoever is out there, I don't know how they would access that content, but I'm sure people who have, you know, Time Warner's cable system would be really happy. So I think well, we're, but again- I think we're on the on the on the shift here. Like there, we have half half of the people with their foot on on the old side, half of the people with their feet on the new side, and a couple people grasping firmly to both sides because they want their MTV or Babylon Five or whatever. Well, I, I still though question the and the initial distribution of pre-existing content. And I'm thinking here when when we made the switch from vinyl records to five and a quarter inch CDs, the content you got immediately when the CD first came on was all new stuff. And, you know, I, I told people I wasn't going to get a DVD or a CD player until Sex Pistols were released on <laughs> CD. Um, and when the Sex Pistols were released on CD, I got a hold of a used uh, disc man, and of course the rest is history. Uh, so, you know, where I can see, like in iTunes, um, they're offering Desperate Housewives, they're offering Battlestar Galactica, new shows. Uh, like you said, Summer, if you want to catch up on an episode of something you missed, you download it. That's, that's fine, I understand that. But I've got Babylon 5. Why do I need to go to AOL to view it? If I want to get somebody, you know, hooked on it, I guess maybe you could go, but I think it's at that point it's just as easy to say, sit down, I'm going to pop this DVD into the player. Well, for the, for I know the D, people have complained to me uh, in emails about the expense of the, the disc sets. And I think some people who like, well, I don't want to buy the entire season just now. My budget won't allow for it, but I'll, you know, I'll watch it on broadband. I think I think the total price, if buying episode per episode, might actually turn out to be cheaper than buying the entire DVD set. I know one friend complained. He's like the only set he could find available for sale online was the big four hundred dollar, you know, four hundred fifty dollar set of the complete series. I was like, what? You weren't searching very hard, were you? Um, <laughs> and uh, and just just for good measure, I think uh, was it Legend of the Rangers comes out on DVD in March. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I don't know. We'll have to, have to wait and see how much it, how it plays out because I'm definitely not buying any new toys uh, until the dust settles. Is that whole that whole new high definition DVD thing? I'm staying far away from that as possible until like there's a winner standing in the ring with the bloody body of the other guy on the deck. <laughs> That's the problem with the being on the bleeding edge. Somebody gets cut. <laughs> Too. Well, um, we can invite we can invite some more dialogue through emails, you know, and see what the fans have to say about yeah, all this. I I definitely want to do that. I want to ask the fans, what do you want to hear? Is there any specific ideas, uh, concepts, commentary that you want to hear us talk about? Because I think we have a plethora of B five talent, and uh, and way 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 too much trivia stored in our brains to to let go to waste. Um, you can email us at babylonpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave comments on the website, which is babylonpodcast.com. And you can also give us a call and leave us a voicemail. That number is 206-338-2259. 
That's 206-338-2259, the year it all began. <laughs> that was the year the Great War came upon us all. <laughs> uh, well, do we have anything else to say, guys? Well, I just wanted to say um, thanks to everyone who has been posting uh, comments on BabylonPodcast.com and those who have been sending in emails. We've gotten a lot of very, very positive response. And in fact, um, I've been thrilled with it. We've gotten far more off of a show zero than I ever imagined we would. Um, we've also got the Frapper map. We should mention that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's fun to look at, especially since we've got people who listen to Show Zero in Seoul, Korea. We've got two in Australia and two in the UK. As of today's recording, we have 26 members pinned who've pinned their locations on our Frapper map. So, Yay. Wow. The Army of Blake grows. Yes. <laughs> Jeffrey, anything you want to sign off with? No, I, I tell you what, there are several more people that I've contacted. I think we're going to have some tremendous insight from behind the scenes stuff that no one has ever heard because I have uh, uh, access to, to the people who help really make the show that, that we're sitting there doing a lot of the grunt work that never received any of the uh, accolade or um, um, yeah, ever had the opportunity to ever really tell you what they did on the show and that those are the stories that are fascinating i mean it's it's going to be really really fun and that's going to what be what really sets this uh this content up uh, apart from other conventions you might have heard or or articles you've read or blogs or whatever so uh i think it's going to be awfully good in these first few weeks here and, and probably continue and we'll ramp it up from there Okay, well... I'm very excited to be talking to these people. Yeah, you know how much I want to be talking to the guys who do the models and the CG work. So, <laughs> that is our show for this week. Fans, B5, Army of Light, and Army of Shadows, we will talk to you again next time.